Collins. Are you ready for that kitchen remodel, bathroom update, or new granite countertops and backsplash? Colorado Kitchen and Bath offers all the products from the floor to the ceiling. Do you know they also have a separate in-house floor covering department? Carpet, hardwood, tile, luxury vinyl plank, laminate, and more. This is truly your one-stop shopping experience, offering quality, service, and satisfaction since 1983, right here in Northern Colorado. Colorado Kitchen and Bath proudly offers R.D. Henry cabinetry with multiple styles and finishes in their builder grade, semi-custom, and custom cabinetry line. Call today for your appointment at 970-353-2890 or just click on ckbsales.com. That's 970-353-2890 or log on to ckbsales.com. R.D. Henry Cabinetry from Colorado Kitchen and Bath. If you've been putting off that remodel, now's the time. And now for a message from PeacefulParentingUniversity.com. Are you tired of feeling overwhelmed with parenting? Do you wish there was a better way to raise a child? Discover a different method of parenting and watch a free presentation on handling difficult situations at PeacefulParentingUniversity.com. Listening to KHNC 1360 AM. This is Shepard, the Voluntarist, and you are listening to the Let's Think Show. Let's Think Show.com. Welcome, and our topic today is rights. We are going to talk about rights, and we've heard of rights, and, and we just kind of take it for granted. Yeah, you don't have the right to do that to me, or or that ain't right, and well, what do we mean? So, and of course, one meaning of the word is right as in right or wrong, but that's not the, that's not the meaning we're talking about today. We're, we're talking about this concept of something being acceptable or unacceptable and generally understood by a lot of people. That's, that's how I understand a right to be, just kind of a, a rough definition. I thought we would start with the the rights that we are most familiar with in the the jurisdiction that's run by the United States uh, right now we're common we're commonly made aware of the the bill of rights this thing called the bill of rights and there are 10 of them and uh, they are amendments to the constitution and and they were uh, they came about in 1791, and, and there were good guys and bad guys putting them together. I think people with good intent and bad intent. Maybe they all had good intent, but some of them were just kind of wacko, loved central authority, central governments, people like Madison. Um, and then there were others that, that wanted freedom and, and, and such. So I, I thought we would begin by just looking at a few of the rights uh, protections that are guaranteed uh, in the Bill of Rights, and and then we'll move on to philosophy from something that's much more narrow, which is one particular government at one moment in time that wrote one set of rules uh, that <laughs> they're saying, basically, we're going to be your master, but we won't beat you too hard. And, and these are the rules that we will hold ourselves to so that we don't beat you too hard. <clears throat> in essence what they said. So what is the First Amendment? The First Amendment is the freedom of, of speech and press and religion and assembly and, and to petition the government. Uh, it, can you imagine that that was even necessary? There were some people that were saying, hey, how's a bad government going to pull something over on us? Uh, and so the, the what, petitioning the government, can you imagine living in a world where you couldn't even write a letter of complaint and writing a letter of complaint or signing a petition. I know that that's not a useful thing to do with your time, but it's at least nice to be able to fool ourselves and bang our head against the brick wall thinking we're doing something. Uh, look at the freedom of speech and of the press. 
Uh, can you imagine living in a world where you couldn't say what you wanted to say? You couldn't get points across that you would be stopped from that? And, of course, that's being done now, but it's not by the government. And this, these rights are things that the government says that they're, they're making the rules for themselves. They're not going to keep other parties from uh, violating these rights of ours, but they, they just say they won't do it themselves. And actually, at the end of the show today, for the last segment... I am going to read an article from someone who is definitely being censored. Uh, it has to do with COVID-19 deaths and such. Uh, so make sure you stick around for that at the end of the show. Uh, this person definitely is having their freedom of speech, and, and uh, it's actually even a freedom of press issue as well. However, it's all internally controlled, which is a different thing. So the government can give us a right but then if they can train everybody to control themselves <laughs> so they don't have to control them, yeah, that's kind of a that's a neat gig, huh? If you can get people to go for that, that's a really neat gig. If you can make sure that nobody wants to speak out against the, the common narrative, well, then that First Amendment stuff, you've kind of circumvented it, haven't you? Another right that uh, governments have given, this particular one was a, a, a right that the United States... Uh, government gave, you know, it's not really giving a right. It's essentially saying, you know, we're promising to protect this natural right of yours. But that's their right to bear arms, to keep and bear arms. And, you know, thank goodness that the United States government hasn't done anything to hurt that right. Because uh, in some places in the world, believe it or not, if you, you're not allowed to have whatever kind of gun you want, you can't have whatever length of barrel you want and fully auto like you have to have special permits and permissions in some countries that aren't free countries you can't go out and buy a short barreled full auto rifle if you're a, a felon because you forged a check 30 years ago you you wouldn't be allowed to do that in many countries only in free countries do you have a right to bear arms uh, do you have somebody protecting that right to bear arms? The Third Amendment, I, I've heard people joking before and saying, you know, whatever you can say of all the other ones, I'm really proud of the government for never having violated my Third Amendment rights. What is that? That's uh, protection against housing soldiers in civilian homes. So we're going to skip over that one. Uh, fourth is the right to uh, not have the cops go through your stuff without a good reason and and seize your stuff. Uh, in some countries, there are things called uh, civil forfeit uh, laws. And so essentially, if you do something that is against the, the rules, the government doesn't have to go through a trial and all of that. They can just take your stuff. Uh, and, and I'm not well-versed in all the countries, but there are probably places, I'm guessing Soviet Union was like this, maybe China, Venezuela, that if they if you're cooking meth in those countries and you're driving to the store uh, and you happen to have some meth with you and you're a meth salesperson or manufacturer, they can, the government will steal your car from you, even though the car had nothing to do with it, really. They'll steal it from you. So the Fourth Amendment is a, a thing in the United States to make sure that nothing like that happens and to, to help keep the keep us secure in our stuff and in our belongings and and in our person make sure that we're not arrested without a good reason uh the fifth amendment this is uh self-incrimination this is uh your fifth amendment rights don't you're not you're not forced to say something that will get you in trouble uh no double jeopardy it also has to do with property seizure and and trial without indictment uh, Fifth Amendment rights. This is this is something that uh, yeah, some people, depending on your lifestyle, this can be pretty important. Uh, and it is nice that if you're arrested for something, you're not going to be tortured and beaten and forced to say, "Yeah, I did it." Uh, so that's that's a nice touch that 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 doesn't happen. Sixth of the Bill of Rights is the right to a speedy trial, being informed of the charges made against you, right to be confronted by witnesses, and you can call your own witnesses, and you get to have an attorney uh, without somebody recognizing that you had those rights, uh, then all of those things might not happen. If you were suspected of something, uh, they could say, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with it, but you're going to be in jail for a year before it even goes to court. If these things were not in, in effect, uh, they'd be, you know, they 
drag it on and on. And they'd say, well, we're going to have a hearing to decide what evidence is allowed. And then we'll have this hearing and this hearing. And then you don't really get to the meat of it. You don't get a resolution for sometimes six months, a year, sometimes even more uh, in countries that don't have a good Bill of Rights. Uh, this idea of being able to call your own witnesses and being confronted by them. Imagine if you couldn't do that. Imagine if uh, you didn't even have to know who they were. You didn't have to know what you were charged. You say, hey, you messed up and somebody said something you did bad. And no, you don't get to have an attorney. And that would be pretty, pretty messy and nasty. So that's a right that many of us appreciate. Uh, the Seventh Amendment is, you know, kind of sticking with that whole thing of getting arrested and going to court and such. Uh, right to trial by jury. Uh, so you're going to be having a, a jury of your peers, people that had roughly the same upbringing and the same economic level. And, you know, you're not going to have uh, if you have a, a jury that's like you, people that are, are similar to you, you're not going to have uh, wealthy people trying poor people or poor people trying uh, wealthy people. It's going to be consistent across the board. So everybody really understands what's going on. Uh, right to trial by jury would include. The, the concept, and this came later, but th that it's uh, it's the jury's job not to say, yes, you violated this law or not, but hey, is it really wrong what this person did? And you kind of have to try the law also. Uh, that's a pretty basic part of, of juries, and of course that doesn't exist in countries that aren't free. The Eighth Amendment, this is a protection against excessive bail, excessive fines, cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, in some places, the law enforcement officers, the uh, the people in the prisoners that are being held for a long time, they'll be beaten up and uh, just treated very poorly in prison. It's not like in a free country where... There are very few people in prison. You try to keep people out. And the few people that are in prison uh, are treated with respect. Maybe not respect. You don't respect them. They're in there for doing something that was, you know, inappropriate as far as the government's concerned. But at least they're not going to be uh, beaten. They'll get nutritious food and they'll be able to be productive and, and all that kind of stuff. Ninth Amendment. Uh, the rights granted in the Constitution shall not infringe on other rights. So that's kind of a good... Uh, all-encompassing thing. And then the tenth is that any powers uh, that are not granted to the federal government uh, in the Constitution, they have to be in the Constitution, granted to the federals, federal folks, uh, they belong to the, the states or the people. And, and so if it didn't say it outright, then eh, it's, it's a smaller level of government that's going to going to be your master on that. So that was just kind of a quick overview of the Bill of Rights. And uh, we're going to talk more about rights when we come back. And we'll get into negative rights, positive rights, whether or not rights even exist. And we'll have lots of fun with that. I look forward to seeing you back here after the break. We're taught as children that obedience to authority is a virtue and that doing as you're told makes you a good person. And all of the worst tyrannies in history depended upon people believing that. In reality, being moral means following your conscience and doing the right thing even when authority tells you not to. Hi folks, I'm James Morgan, a realtor with Grisham & Associates, LLC. I know it must seem like there's a million realtors out there making all kinds of promises. Want to hear my big marketing promise? I promise honest and fair dealings with all those I do business with. That may sound old-fashioned, and it is not very catchy, but it is true. I am your Colorado real estate specialist. Farmland, mountain cabins, or urban dwellings. When you work with my team, we'll get the right property for you and be upfront and honest with you every step of the way. Over the years, my clients have told me just that fact alone separates us from others in the industry. If you are considering buying or selling real estate, call me, James Morgan, at 720-203-0731 or visit my website at coloradoproperties.online. No catchy slogan, just a client-first, honest real estate experience. 
Hit it, girls. Keep listening to the American Freedom Network. Open Forum. Steve Stars. Etheric Dave. Mondays and Tuesdays. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Right here on KHNC. 1360 a.m. The Roar of the Rockies. People say they would do anything for their kids. How would you handle it if your child had cancer? To hear one father's story about how he changed his life and changed how he raises his kids, visit PeacefulParentingUniversity.com. The program that equips parents with the principles of peaceful parenting and the practical training to implement them. Why does it seem America is slowly sinking? Whose fault is it? It's not the Obamas or the Clintons. It's not Republicans or Democrats. It's not corporations, the military, or foreign countries. It's the Federal Reserve, a central banking system made up of private bankers that corrupt and control virtually all aspects of the world's money supply and the economy. All of the major problems of the world can be traced to the Federal Reserve and central banks of other countries. Hi, I'm Jason with the Colorado Front Range News Hour. Catch my show with co-host Brian here on KHNC, 3 to 4, Monday through Friday. We sell gold and silver, the best way to protect your hard-earned money. Call 800-951-0592 and keep those blood-sucking bankers out of your wallet. I was dreaming of bigger things and want to leave my old life behind. Not a yes, sir, not a follow-up. Fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder, 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 thunder. Welcome back from the break, folks. This is Shepard, the voluntarist with your favorite radio station, your favorite show on the station, right? Let's think. Thanks for being on today, listening, and hopefully learning a thing or two, hopefully calling in and giving us your opinion as well. Uh, on the line right now is my friend, Kason Bryden. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. How about you, Shepard? Well, just wonderful. We are kind of talking about rights today, and uh, we're, we're t- just talking about the different aspects of uh uh, of what are rights that we care about? Is there such a thing, et cetera, et cetera? And I, I've heard of this concept of uh, negative rights and positive rights. Are you familiar with that? I'm moderately familiar with it, but go ahead and break it down for me Barney style. What do you mean by that? What do you mean, I think, is the important component to get? What do you define? Yeah, kind of the way I understand it is that uh, there are rights basically fall into two categories, and one would be a negative right, which would be that uh, you are not allowed to do something to me. I have the right to not be punched by you. And so that would be a negative right. And then a positive right would be something that I expect from you. Uh, Like if I expected, if you were a doctor and I expected you to provide me with uh, free health care, free health care would be a positive right and you not punching me would be a negative right. Is that your understanding as well? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. And what do you think of uh, of those? What are some of the, uh, can you think of any rights that are negative rights that you believe in? Like what are some of the basics? Do you believe in the Bill of Rights or what are some of yours? Well, so I think most people, and, and this is what I subscribe to, that there's kind of big four no-nos that that are floating out there. Assault, theft, murder, and rape. Nobody wants to uh, have those things done to them, so we kind of agree, hey, I'm not going to assault you, I'm not going to steal from you, I'm not going to murder you. Um, and in return, everybody else kind of abides by that. It sounds like all four of those are negative rights. Yeah, so those are all negative rights. Um, as far as positive rights, the only things I could think of would maybe be if somebody promised uh, – you use the example of somebody providing a service. If somebody promised that to you and they made a, a contract, whether it be written or verbal or however you want to uh, describe contracts. Yeah, if I paid you to give to, to set my leg if I ever needed it and we had that contract, it's kind of part of honesty almost, which isn't a right but a, 
a good idea. So whenever you say right, just not positive, not negative, what is a right to Shepard? You know, I'm struggling with that right now. Uh, one of the... To me, a right is something that is just kind of universally, I don't know if it's called natural law, I've heard that term, uh, but there's just kind of a basic thing that humans shouldn't, maybe that's just a preference, but humans shouldn't rape, steal, murder, etc., etc. So I, I kind of see it as, as very similar to what you were describing. Sure, sure. Well, I have a couple different thoughts that I've uh, stumbled across. One was by a guy named uh, Stefan Molyneux. Uh, who wrote a book called Universally Preferable Behavior. And in it, he put forth kind of a thesis, and that thesis goes something like this. I'm going to butcher it a little bit because it's from memory and I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it goes something like this. Uh, things, whenever somebody uses the word uh, true, it means that it conforms to the rules of logic and it has some kind of empirical evidence behind it. And the framework for ethics put forth in, in that particular book, I think is kind of like applying the scientific method to ethics, like what we can do and what we can't do. And if somebody's doing the thing that we can't do or ought not, I shouldn't say can't, I should say ought not, I suppose, to clarify that, that we could use some kind of force to stop them. Like if somebody's stealing from me, I can, you know, I can hold them back and say, that's my wallet, give it back. Um, because in science, you can't say something that's self-contradictory as far as I predict when I drop this rock that it will fall both down and up simultaneously. We don't even have to do any kind of – we don't have to do any empirical testing. Right, because they're opposites, yeah. Yeah, and then let's say that we had an internally consistent theory such as I believe that this rock when dropped will fall upwards. Well, it's internally consistent, but once we move on to empirical testing, it kind of falls apart because it would fall towards – what we call down or just towards the, the greatest mass in the area, e.g. Earth. Um, okay. Well, is there a way to empirically test uh, at all, a right at all, if we took stealing? Is there a way to test if that's good or not? Well, so I think the, the idea of stealing would be that I own a thing and uh, bad man Bob comes down the street and he wants to take that thing from me. But it's self-contradictory for him to want to steal because the only reason that somebody would want to steal would be to own that thing that they have stolen, to have exclusive right of refusal over that thing that they steal. So let's say it's my wallet. It has uh, some money in it. They want the money. They want to use the money. They want to invoke property upon that which they have stolen, which would be a self-contradictory thing. So we don't even need to go to evidence but if we looked at the evidence it's not a good thing for those that happen like if you want to go through like the consequential uh downspouts of it but how how can it be if i'm looking at if i'm thinking about in the term of right terms of rights if i really think you have uh, let's say let's keep it with uh, bad guy bob bob sees your apple tree and it has 100 apples on it he knows you're not going to eat them all what is wrong with him sneaking up there and taking one? What what makes that wrong? What gives you the right to keep all hundred of your apples? Oh, sure. So I think that has to do with property systems, which is how we de define who owns what um, whenever it comes to scarce resources, which if you're into economics, pretty much everything these days is scarce, it seems, from apples to monies. It does seem that way. So really, it's almost like we're philosophizing midstream about rights whenever maybe what rights uh, – the foundation of them is really kind of based in a property ethic, which – how do you determine what property is whose? Does property exist? Like these are kinds of questions that would probably warrant investigation. Right, and, and I was actually earlier this week guest hosting on a show, and that was our, our topic was uh, the idea of property rights and – you know, we thought about the, the people who don't agree with me. I believe in individualism, but we were thinking of the collectivism, the people that are in, into collectivism and how their understanding is kind of the Marxist view is that it's OK to own property that you're personally using, like a hairbrush. Uh, you cannot, as an individual, though, own a factory because that should be the community good. And then something in the middle would be a hammer. Uh, and a hammer would be 
uh, if you're just using it around your house, then it's acceptable. But if you went out and tried to make money with it or get more capital from using it, uh, that then it would no longer be acceptable for a person to have it. So I imagine if we were speaking with somebody who had that worldview of property, we wouldn't have a good enough foundation to even move on to to something like rights. Yeah, I think we'd have to agree on the fundamental principle because whenever it comes to a property system, I would look for something that causes the least amount of rivalrousness over resources, which I think, whenever you boil it down, comes down to first use. I'm the first one that used my body. I'm the first one that uh, picks up that hammer if I you know, made it. Uh, maybe I'm the first one that made that factory. So I think first use would probably divide that up. Who has to agree, though? And, and is that similar to, I've heard the homesteading theory, uh, or the, the theory of homesteading, that if you get there and you claim it and you put it to use, it's yours. And, and, and there's been something with that theory and, and first use that I've never really understood. And that's the idea that, let's say I, I go out and uh, am very good at doing a thing. Let's say I'm good at software and I make uh, 50 billion bucks and I want to go out and, and have a beautiful home with a beautiful view of the mountains and I don't want any other houses in the way. And I would like to uh, use the big open space there for my view. Somebody else might want to use it to grow crops. I want to use it for my view. Who gets to decide what putting to use is? Does it have to be something that everybody agrees is productive use or is rich dude looking out over a 20-mile expanse to the mountains, am I using those 20 miles for use? Have have you heard anything about how to kind of break that down in a person's mind? So that's something I've, I've thought about in the past um, around the idea of things that aren't something I can put in my pocket or put in a backpack, something that's large. What constitutes use? Is climbing a mountain constituting use? Um, and I think these may not be something that can be answered at the level of first principles, like starting from A is A, the law of non-contradiction. But it seems like that would be something that people do have to reach consensus on to decrease rivalrousness, where it comes down to, hey, I really want to own this plot of land. Like, I think if I, if I put up stakes um, and, like, made a fence, I think we could clearly delineate. I'm making use of this land, whether it be a small piece or a large piece. Someone else got there first. But whenever it comes to, oh, I really enjoy this view, I don't think, I don't think you could do that without somehow making uh, some kind of demarcation uh, from nature. I'm not saying that that demarcation is needed to make the valid claim of I've made use, but it certainly helps. In the same way, someone could make an agreement to do something and you don't write it down in a contract, but that contract gives you the evidence of it in reality that you can demonstrate to other people and say, look, this is what happened. Right. Well, maybe once I go out and make my 50 billion, I will just buy it from people who have homesteaded on smaller spots and figure something out like that. Kason, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I hope you'll join us in the future. I, I love chatting with bright people, and you clearly are. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. We will be back to talk more about rights. Please do join the conversation. Our phone number is 406 646 6121. Let's think show.com. We'll be back. grocery store costs twice as much as buying higher quality Angus beef through High Country Custom Beef. From the Ely Ranch northwest of Steamboat Springs, order your quarter, half, or whole beef today. Backed by the experience of five generations of cattle ranchers, High Country Custom Beef is grass-raised, grain-finished, and better value than any of the competition. Place your order at hccbeef.com. That's hccbeef.com. High Country Custom Beef. 
tune in to the Funky Garage Fossil Jostle Saturday nights, 10 p.m. to midnight on KHNC 1360 AM. I'm Cheese, and I'll be playing 60s Garage, Psychedelic, Surf, and 60s and 70s Funky Grooves. If you can stay up, we can get down. Hi, Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening to me every weekday from 7 a.m. till 10 a.m. right here on KHNC, the roar of the Rockies. Hey, do you want a business in northern Colorado or surrounding areas? Are you looking to reach a conservative, loyal audience which could grow your business? Well, take my advice and contact my friends at KHNC. KHNC has a rapidly growing, conservative, family-based audience, and you can speak directly to them. Now, if you're looking for the type of customers or clients that believe in the principles that our great country was founded upon, just contact my friends at KHNC, the Roar of the Rockies, and learn how you can be heard right on the air. Just call 970-587-5003 or email on the air at 1360khnc.com. That's 970-587-5003 or email on the air at 1360khnc.com. Take it from me, Brian Kilmeade. You can showcase your business to the folks that are helping to take our country back. Most people think they can't afford to invest in gold and silver. But at the Patriot Trading Group, we believe that everyone should have the opportunity to own hard assets. That's why we created our Preferred Metals Program. You can get started for as little as $100 a month. Go to allamericangold.com and click on our Preferred Metals icon to learn how you can get started today. Or call us at 800-951-0592, the Patriot Trading Group, allamericangold.com. Are you paying too much for your home, life, or auto insurance? It only takes 10 minutes to find out. Hi, this is Kevin Voles with Badger Insurance Advisors. Choosing insurance plans can be difficult. That's why I make it easy. I'll make the calls, compare the plans and prices, and find you the insurance plan that fits your needs. Best of all, my help is at no cost to you. Call me today at 303-359-1799 or visit badgerinsuranceadvisors.com. Let me find the right insurance for you. Enter promo code KHNC when shopping at InfoWarsStore.com. That's promo code KHNC. And now for a message from PeacefulParentingUniversity.com. Are you tired of feeling overwhelmed with parenting? Do you wish there was a better way to raise a child? Discover a different method of parenting and watch a free presentation on handling difficult situations at PeacefulParentingUniversity.com. The Let's Think Show. This is Shepard, the Voluntarist. And today I have a special guest. Uh, we're talking about rights. And, you know, I, I, over the years, I've heard about the, the negative rights and positive rights. And negative rights, as we've discussed, are, are things that people should not do to you or they do not have a right to do to you. Positive rights are rights that require you to do something for them. And... What do you think of that? Which uh, Do you believe that we should have both positive and negative rights? What do you think? I'm going to talk today to Yaakov. Yaakov is a philosopher pal of mine, and we've gone back and forth over the brewskis and uh, over the desk and over the internet. And uh, Yaakov, welcome. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here. Well, thanks for being here. And as we are all pondering, uh, I've mentioned on the show before that my mind has been blown over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I've always believed in negative rights, but not in positive rights. And I thought, hey, that's the good libertarian position to have. And then you come rocking into my world talking about uh, there's no such thing as a right. What do you mean by that? Well, you're correct in a sense about negative rights that... Negative, well, rights are correctly stated in the negative. In other words, it's not that there are negative rights, meaning that these are things that uh, people cannot do to you. It's that we state rights in the negative because these are things that nobody has a right to do. So nobody has a right to take your things. Nobody has a right to kill you. 
so on and so forth. So rights are negative in the sense that these are rights that do not exist. And the reason that those, are, those things are negative rights is because all rights are negative rights. There is no such thing as rights. Rights are things which, by definition, don't exist. No one has a right to take money from you or to um, take your wallet, you know, to take, to take your life, to rape you or anything. But you also don't really have a right to property. You also don't really have a right to uh, bodily autonomy. What that means is um, if you are walking in the woods and uh, you encounter a bear and that bear is hungry, you could claim that you have a right to live and that you have a right to bodily autonomy, but that doesn't mean that the bear isn't going to eat you. Uh, bears don't care about rights, and frankly, neither do most people. So, but don't we still have, from a moral or from a philosophic standpoint, don't we still have you know, a right not to be stolen from or punched? I mean, does it matter? Right. Um, if we say that, you know, philosophically or morally speaking, no one has a right to punch you. If you get in a bar fight, you still get punched in the face. Right. So it doesn't... <laughs> my fancy morality isn't helping my nose much. <laughs> right. It, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, it's, you know, theoretics really are theoretical. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, until, you know, uh, it, you know, laws of morality are not like laws of nature. If I if I lift up my my cell phone and I drop it, I let go of it, it's going to drop, right? There's, these are, there are physical laws of reality. And rights just aren't like that. You know, rights are something that we think about. You know, these are ideas that we have. But as far as their tangible effect on the world, it's, it's really, um, I haven't yet seen any way in which they are tangibly effective upon our reality. So when I hear somebody saying, uh, a constitutionalist, saying that there is a, a right, not that's given by the Constitution or by the founding fathers of, of a particular government, but they say that the, the Second Amendment uh, guarantees or it, it puts out there in writing and lets everybody know, hey, people have a natural right to keep and bear arms, you're saying know that the constitution not only does the constitution not matter but humans don't even have a right to bear arms we just have a preference or something like that well what i'm saying is this um the right to bear arms is really pretty irrelevant without the arms themselves correct so somebody breaks into my house and i yell at him oh get out of here i have a right to bear arms they don't really care unless i'm actually <laughs> holding a gun in my hand right? yeah yeah that's not gonna matter yeah right that they're still, you know, going to do whatever it is that they want. So the right to bear arms without the fact of arms, uh, the the right to self-defense without the fact of self-defense is really utterly and completely irrelevant. Um, okay. The fact of self-defense or the, the fact of individual power and strength uh, the, of individual arms, the individual power to defend oneself, if you have that, you don't really need the quote-unquote right to do it. Right? If you have a uh, gun and somebody breaks into your house or somebody comes into their own house and you happen to already be there for some reason and you have a gun and they don't, the, the fact of arms changes the equation. The fact that, or the, the theoretical possibility of rights or the, the idea that, that you don't have a right to be in their house doesn't really matter if you have a gun and they don't. Right. But then couldn't so, I argue that it, it, it comes down to they don't have a right to initiate violence against me, but I do have a right to defend myself against their initiated violence. So neither of us have any rights or. So one, one of the things that like in, in general in um, you know, self-development is this is probably the most important first step in self-development is accepting reality as it is. Right. Okay how is the world right now like what what is the world like not how the world should be but how is the world actually and the idea of rights is is one of these ideas of how the world should be we should have other people respect our property we should have other people respect our bodily autonomy but that's not how the world actually is in actual fact uh you know for example many people expect the government to protect their rights. Actually, if you look at it in any sort of depth, the government is probably the greatest violator of those 
theoretical rights, right? The, the government right. Pr probably steps on you more than anybody else. They take your Absolutely. stuff, they conscript people into service and so on and so forth. They, they, you know, they imprison people over, over plants. So how is the world, not how should the world be? And once we accept that reality, then we can start to figure out how to actually defend ourselves. So if you're in the walking in the woods and you encounter a, encounter a bear, or if you're worried about encountering a bear, you'll carry a large gun. And knowing that this is the way the world is and that bears don't care about your rights, you'll be able to defend yourself. But if you trap yourself into thinking that everybody else should respect your rights, these figmentary things, you know, the, a right becomes something that it's, it's what you expect of others. And when you expect these things of others, you get let down, you know? Oh, I expect- Right, you're gonna be disappointed all the right, time, yeah. Right, you have your, these very high expectations that simply don't match the reality. So that's what rights are. They're an expectation that simply doesn't match the reality. If you don't have that expectation, if you don't expect that, oh, well, rights, you know, oh, I'm sorry, bears should just get out of my way when I'm walking through the forest, <laughs> you know, which is kind of a stupid expectation, then you'll be prepared for the, you know, potentiality of encountering a bear. Uh, likewise with encountering governments. If you have the expectation that they're going to protect your rights, your approach to the world will be very different than somebody who doesn't have such an expectation. So would it be uh, maybe advisable for a person, for me, for other people, to almost remove that word or that concept from our, our vocabulary and our thinking and, and, uh, and not, I, I can say to myself, I don't like punching little three-year-old girls in the face. So it's not whether or not I have a right to, I just think it's a wrong thing to do. Therefore, I have a very strict policy of never doing it, but rights don't need to come into this. Is that, am I on the right track there? Sure. Uh, in fact, yeah, rights don't need to come into it at all. Like I said before, the, the, the fact of being able to defend yourself negates your need for any right to be free from assault. Right. So if somebody, okay. if you're, if you take, if you take your kids or grandkids to the park, right, you don't want people who are strangers to them to, you know, interact with them in a negative way. Right. And, right. you know, all sorts of negative ways that can happen. So you keep an eye on them and you keep an eye on anybody who's coming close to them. You don't just simply sit back and say, oh, well, they have rights. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, <too> <laughs> Wrong word. <laughs> but that makes absolute sense. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the, the right to be free from, in, you know, incursion, unwanted incursion into your life really doesn't almost doesn't matter. Okay. And, and I think that, you know, perhaps uh, focusing on that is something that can be uh, very detrimental to our, our way of thinking and our way of self-growth. Right. Because if I start thinking that I have five rights or 10 rights or 200 rights and that other people have the same amount and I should expect that of them and I should perform my life that way, then I'm not really, it's not helping my life. It's not helping theirs. It's not adding truth to anything. I could just ignore everything and say, hey, here are 200 things I'm not going to do to other folks. And here are 100 that I'm not going to let them do to me. And here are 50 that eh, I don't like, but I'll let them do to me because it's not that big of a deal. Right. Well, the whole issue of rights, I have just, I've spent my whole life, uh, you know me well enough that I can't say that it's been 27 years, uh, for over 45 years, I've always just thought of rights, and I've thought that they existed, and now I'm having to question, you know, whether or not they even exist, and if they do, uh, whether or not it matters. It's a, a interesting concept. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Thank you for coming on and chatting with us. Uh, hopefully, will you come on the show again sometime in the future? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come on again. Wonderful. Well, we just heard from Yaakov, and uh, he shared with all of us some things that he and I have chatted about uh, in the past, and uh, hopefully it's kind of confounding you like it confounded me. I know it's that whole cognitive dissonance thing. Oh, boy, that struck, and I had to really think it out. Stay with us. We'll be back right after the break here on the Let's Think Show with Shepard, the Voluntarist. Thank you. 
Join us and don't miss a moment of The Alex Jones Show, your number one source for real independent media. Find out what the mainstream media doesn't want you to know. InfoWars is pro-America, pro-family, pro-freedom. We are rebooting 1776. Exclusive reports, live coverage, information you won't find anywhere else. Tomorrow's news today. Stay informed by listening to KHNC 1360 AM. Alex is here, 1 o'clock, Monday through Friday, right here on the Roar of the Rockies. Reasons to Own Gold. Brought to you by the Patriot Trading Group at allamericangold.com. Reason number 647. Most people don't even know that the courts have already ruled. Once money is deposited into the bank, the bank owns the money, and the depositor is merely an unsecured creditor of the bank. Which means if the bank goes under, you get paid last. After the financial crisis, instead of breaking up too big to fail, the government and the Federal Reserve created Dodd-Frank and made too big to fail banks even bigger while putting your deposits more at risk. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. To learn more, visit us at allamericangold.com or call us at 800 951 People say they would do anything for their kids. How would you handle it if your child had cancer? To hear one father's story about how he changed his life and changed how he raises his kids, visit PeacefulParentingUniversity.com. The program that equips parents with the principles of peaceful parenting and the practical training to implement them. segment we're going to do a little bit of uh i don't know truth and reporting honesty journalistic uh, integrity we're gonna we're gonna take a little look at this so uh, a friend of mine on social media sent an article to me and i opened it up i don't know she was last night or this morning and it showed a uh, it was an article it was on the uh, webarchive.org which is a great site they they take things and they kind of preserve it as it is at a point in time to keep history honest and he he shared this link with me by yanni goo at the john hopkins university and this is the newsletter that's been published by the students of john hopkins since 1896 this was a november 26 2020 uh, article and they they put out this this article the name of it is a closer look at u.s deaths due to covid19 and I read the article and I said to myself, self, uh, this is interesting. This isn't the same as the international narrative, or as Tom Woods calls it, the three by five index card of allowable opinion. This isn't this isn't the normal thing the press is telling us. How in the world would a well-connected university like John Hopkins, how would they put out something like this? And so I thought, well, I'll just you know, follow, follow the rabbit trail a little bit. And I looked into it and uh, the article had been redacted. Uh, The, I don't know if they call themselves the ministry of truth uh, or whatever, but somebody at John Hopkins had decided, Oh no, 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 no. All of that stuff that, that we said in the article, no, we got all that wrong. That's not what she really meant. And Yanni didn't mean to write it that way and didn't, take it right. And the professor who, who g- gave the talk, uh, Genevieve Briand, the assistant program director of applied economics, master's degree program, um, that, you know, she just she got it wrong and it just kind of, it was misinterpreted and we still should be very, very scared of COVID-19. And then I went back to looking for the article later and guess what? was gone, even on Web Archive. And I'm still looking at it, trying to say it's me being a techno idiot, but I can't find it. I can find the redacted version, but I can't find the original version. So I I don't know. I'm guessing it's just me, but I thought, you know, I'll find this old version that they offered in a PDF with a big watermark over the top of it. And I thought, I'll read it just kind of 
you know, for posterity, put it out there and, and see if you think, is this worth the, uh, the hiding? Is, is this worth them not allowing this person to speak their mind and give their scientific opinion? Is it really something that needs to be hidden? Uh, or should it, in fact, have been quickly buried and glossed over and all oh, bigger experts say that it's really a huge problem. Ignore this. Uh, is that really necessary? So for the rest of this segment, I think it's about an eight minute clip. I'm going to read this article. So if you've already read it, you have my permission to do something else with your time. Not that anything could be better than listening to my voice. Here goes. This is again, the uh, John Hopkins University's uh, newsletter published by the students of John Hopkins, written by Yanni Gu, with the main person being Genevieve Briand. According to new data, the U.S. currently ranks first in total COVID-19 cases, new cases per day, and deaths. Genevieve Briand, Assistant Program Director of the Applied Economics Master's Degree Program at Hopkins, critically analyzed the effect of COVID-19 on U.S. deaths using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, in her webinar titled COVID-19 Deaths, A Look at U.S. Data. From mid-March to mid-September, U.S. total deaths have reached 1.7 million, of which 200,000, or 12% of total deaths, are COVID-19 related. Instead of looking directly at COVID-19 deaths, Briand focused on total deaths per age group and per cause of death in the U.S. and used this information to shed light on the effects of COVID-19. She explained that the significance of COVID-19 on U.S. deaths can be fully understood only through comparison to the, to to the number of total deaths in the United States. After retrieving data on the CDC website, Brand compiled a graph representing percentages of total deaths per age category from early February to early September, which includes the period from before COVID-19 was detected in the U.S. to after infection rates soared. Surprisingly, the deaths of older people stayed the same before and after COVID-19. Since COVID-19 mainly affects the elderly, experts expected an increase in the percentage of deaths in older age groups. However, this increase is not seen from the CDC data. In fact, the percentages of deaths among all age groups remain relatively the same. The reason we have a higher number of reported COVID-19 deaths among older individuals than younger individuals is simply because every day in the U.S., older individuals die in higher numbers than younger individuals, Briand said. Briand also noted that 50,000 to 70,000 deaths are seen both before and after COVID-19, indicating that this number of deaths was normal long before COVID-19 emerged. Therefore, according to Briand, not only has COVID-19 had no effect on the percentage of deaths of older people, but it has also not increased the total number of deaths. These data analyses suggest that in contrast to most people's assumptions, the number of deaths by COVID-19 is not alarming. In fact, it has relatively no effect on deaths in the United States. This comes as a shock to many people. How is it that the data lies so far from our perception? To answer that question, Brian shifted her focus to the deaths per causes ranging from 2014 to 2020. There is a sudden increase in deaths in 2020 due to COVID-19. This is no surprise because COVID-19 emerged in the U.S. in early 2020 and thus COVID-19 deaths, COVID-19 related deaths increased drastically afterward. Analysis of deaths per cause in 2018 revealed that the pattern of seasonal increase in the total number of deaths is a result of the rise in deaths by all causes, with the top three being heart disease, respiratory diseases, influenza, and pneumonia. This is true every year. Every year in the U.S., when we observe the seasonal ups and downs, we have an increase of deaths due to all causes, Brianne pointed out. When Brianne looked at the 2020 data during that seasonal period, COVID-19-related deaths exceeded deaths from heart diseases. This was highly unusual since heart disease has always prevailed as the leading cause of deaths. However, when taking a closer look at the death numbers, she noted something strange. 
As Brand compared the number of deaths per cause during that period in 2020 to 2018, she noticed that instead of the expected drastic increase across all causes, there was a significant decrease in deaths due to heart disease. Even more surprising, as seen in the graph that is attached to this document, this sudden decline in deaths is observed for all other causes. This trend is completely contrary to the pattern observed in all previous years. Interestingly, as depicted in the table attached, the total decrease in deaths by other causes almost exactly equals the increase in deaths by COVID-19. This suggests, according to Briand, that COVID-19 death toll is misleading. Briand believes that deaths due to heart diseases, respiratory diseases, influenza, and pneumonia may instead be recategorized as being due to COVID-19. The CDC classified all deaths that are related to COVID-19 simply as COVID-19 deaths. Even patients dying from other underlying diseases but are infected with COVID-19 count as COVID-19 deaths. This is likely the main explanation as to why COVID-19 deaths drastically increased while deaths by all other diseases experienced a significant decrease. All of this points to no evidence that COVID-19 created any excess deaths. Total death numbers are not above normal death numbers. We found no evidence to the contrary, Briand concluded. In an interview with the newsletter, Briand addressed the question of whether COVID-19 deaths can be called misleading since the infection might have exacerbated and even led to deaths by other underlying diseases. If the COVID-19 death toll was not misleading at all, what we should have observed is an increase number of heart attacks and increased COVID-19 numbers. But a decreased number of heart attacks and all the other death causes doesn't give us a choice but to point to some misclassification, Brand replied. In other words, the effect of COVID-19 on deaths in the U.S. is considered problematic only when it increases the total number of deaths or the true death burden by a significant amount in addition to the expected deaths by other causes. Since the crude number of total deaths by all causes before and after COVID-19 has stayed the same, one can hardly say, in Brianne's view, that COVID-19 deaths are concerning. Briand also mentioned that more research and data are needed to truly decipher the effect of COVID-19 on deaths in the United States. Throughout the talk, Briand constantly emphasized that although COVID-19 is a serious national and global problem, she also stressed that society should never lose focus of the bigger picture, death in general. The death of a loved one from COVID-19 or other causes is always tragic. Briand explained, each life is equally important, and we should be reminded that even during a global pandemic, we should not forget about the tragic loss of lives from other causes. According to Briand, the over-exaggeration of the COVID-19 death number may be due to the constant emphasis on COVID-19-related deaths and the habitual overlooking of deaths by other natural causes in society. During an interview with the newsletter after the event, Purna Dharamashina a master's candidate in applied economics expressed his opinion about Brandy's concluding remarks. At the end of the day, it is still a deadly virus, and over-exaggeration or not, to a certain degree, is irrelevant, Dharanamashina said. When asked whether the public should be informed about this exaggeration in death numbers, Dharanamashina stated that people have a right to know the truth. However, COVID-19 should still continuously be treated as a deadly disease to safeguard the vulnerable population. End of article as originally written. So does this disturb you like it disturbs me? Somebody comes out with an article, a paper, an opinion, and then all the other people, all the other scientists look at it and they say, "Ooh, you're wrong here and here and here, and this is why, and they argue about it. And then the other person jumps in and that's how stuff is figured out. Not by censorship. Not by censorship. It's not okay. It just isn't okay. Information you won't find anywhere else. The Alex Jones Show, right here on KHNC, the heart of Northern Colorado. KHNC. 
You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. Rocky Mountain News Network.